listening. Uh, it's really great to see you and looking alive and awake and all that stuff. It's a, a beautiful morning. I, I thought they were saying maybe snow, but it hasn't happened yet. So maybe by the time we're out of here, you know, but uh, hope not. I'm, this spring bug uh, has hit me. How about you? These nice few days and the sunshine, it's just really uh, a lot of fun. Hey, we're only like three weeks out from Easter, and it's hard to believe that, but uh, it's, it's upon us, and it's a, a great day because so many people who never come to church any other time of the year will be here on Easter. And uh, rather than uh, kind of judge them for that, let's welcome them and embrace them and encourage them to come back, and it could be a, a new habit for them. So on that weekend, just begin praying now for guests and be prepared to, you know, give up your seat. We're going to put a few more chairs in here. And, and be prepared to be nice and kind, uh, you know, completely opposite of the way you normally are. <laughs> I'm kidding. You guys are the best, and I love you for it. Thank you. But we are taking the offering called One Day to Feed the World on Easter. If you've been around here, we've done it for two years in a row. And it's, we'll take our regular tithe and offering, but then in the, at the very end of the service... We're just going to say, those of you who have prepared your one-day offering, give it on your way out, because we won't really invite guests or visitors to participate. But here's what it is. It's, uh, it's a way in which we can feed the poor and the marginalized around the world and locally. We've done this for two years in a row, and you guys have stepped up big. One day, meaning you give one day's wage, and you give it to make a difference with people who have very little hope. We give 75% of that offering to Convoy of Hope, who are first responders around the world. That's what made it so cool when they were already there in Haiti when this happened. Convoy were the first responders. They have given now over 6.5 million mil, meals. Uh, um, they've fed that many people in Haiti. When the earthquake in Chile took place, Convoy's there. So you're a part of that. And we love that about this offering because it's sort of that one time. So figure up how many of you actually know how much you make in a day. Some of you do. Okay. Um, well, it, it, and again, it's fair because it's equal sacrifice, not equal giving. If you make a lot of money, you're going to give more. If you don't make any money, you're not going to give anything. It's really based on your income. So it, it, pray about that. This isn't a thing we're going to like twist your arm or get your name. or It's all voluntary to say God's moving on my heart to do that. And if you don't want to do that, just give what you want. But... Uh, every penny is going to go to help the poor and the needy and the marginalized in the world. And it's just a great thing that we do here at Timberline. And I also think it's a great statement for guests on Easter to see us giving away rather than just taking something for ourselves. And so help us do that to make a difference. God bless you in that. Uh, we are concluding a series today that I've been in. It's a, been a four-week series. And we've been talk, I, talk, I called it Learning from the Cities. And there are so many cities in the Bible that we could have... Uh, expanded this too, but I, I, I talked about Laish in Judges 18, how they had no allies, and how the Danites came in and destroyed them, burned the city, killed them all. And we need allies in our lives. We need people who will, we can be friends with and go deep with. We talked a little bit about Jericho and what happened in Jericho, and it's known for its walls, right? And they built these big walls so no one could get in, and, and they were safe, and they were secure, and they were protected, but all the walls fell down. And so we can't just build walls in our lives when it comes to relationships. That's not the answer. And then we talked last weekend about Nineveh, the next generation, and how the generation that Jonah spoke to repented. But that was not passed down to their kids and grandkids. And so it's, it's huge. And I was so touched last weekend. Thank you to all of you who responded. 
by uh, the 29 and under crowd. What a great, I've had some great emails from you guys and just a response and some of the things you said and how that touched you and the 65 and older and all of us in between saying we want to bless this next generation. Today I want to talk about a city named Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. Antioch. It's, it's a good, it's a, it's a powerful community. It's a, it's a, it's a city that is known for its new beginnings. I've called this Antioch the place of new beginnings. And that will start to unfold as we walk through this outline on the back of your bulletin, turn it over. But I want to lead with a question. I love asking you questions and getting you thinking, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but let your mind go there for just a few minutes, if you will. Have you ever had a moment like in a relationship with someone, and I don't mean necessarily romantic, maybe it's your dad, your mom, your kids, maybe it is your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse, maybe it's your boss, I don't know, but just some relationship where you just sort of got off on, on the wrong foot that morning or in a certain conversation or you wanted to talk about something but you, you didn't start it well and it, it ended up being kind of a conflict and you sort of said something like this, look, okay, let's forget this, can we just start over, can, we, can I just start over, anyone ever do that? I, I, I have. And sometimes, you know, you just need to say, I'm sorry, I'm, I was grouchy, and I just need to start over with this conversation. Or you say, you should be sorry because you were really grouchy just then, and you, you need to start over. <laughs> right? <laughs> that starting over and the capacity we have to say, okay, I, I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I'm compelled by that thought because sometimes in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, we have the ability to mentally make a decision that we can start again. We can turn over a new leaf. We have lots of phrases in our culture like that. Turn over a new leaf. What's another one? Start with a clean slate. You, know, you, you wipe off the whiteboard. And it's clean again. And wow, that feels good. So, so this is what Antioch is all about. Let me tell you a little bit about the city, and then we'll dive into this outline. Um, it still exists. It is in modern-day Turkey. There are about 75,000 people who, who live there. It's about 16 and a half miles from the Mediterranean and about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It uh, kind of sets between the Lebanon and the Taurus uh, mountain ranges. There are a lot of earthquakes there, at least in history. One of the biggest earthquakes um, ever recorded happened there. Killed, and this is in 526 A.D. It killed over 250,000 people. So a real tragedy there. Um, in its prime, Antioch had a population between 500,000 and 750,000 people. It, it was a huge city for, uh, its, for the time period we're talking about. It was luxurious. It, its main street was four miles in length, and on both sides were mansions and uh, stone, and just it was done. Architecture, I guess, is amazing. They've done a few digs there back in the 30s, and it's a lot of it's still not even unearthed yet, and so it's still under the ground. But what they have found is super impressive. You can see some of the findings in the Louvre in Paris, but but it has quite a history. It's it's known though for being pretty. Uh, Cultured, highly educated, wealthy, and completely immoral. It was a very uh, Gentile city. And that's important for this message because something happens in Antioch that we'll talk about in a moment. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after only Rome and Alexandria. 
And so it, it needed a good church. Would you agree? <laughs> and so God is up to something here with a new beginning. And we get to find out how that happened and where it happened in the Bible. And so uh, in your outline, if you want to follow along, we're going to go to Acts chapter 11. And uh, Antioch is mentioned many times in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts. And by the way, if you haven't been to journey service Wednesday nights at 7, we are going through the book of Acts uh, verse by verse. Pastor Rob leading the way with Dick Foth and Brent Cunningham. It's just been a, it's been a wonderful uh, journey service on Wednesday nights. Um, we learn from Antioch, and I think I have three main points this weekend. And write this down. We learn that good things can come out of bad situations. Good things can come out of bad situations. I do want to say, I don't believe that there's always something good that comes out of everything bad. Sometimes tough things, bad things happen and, and nothing good happens. But in many cases, we say things like, let's make the best of it. Let's do this because of that. We'll try this. And, and we sort of go through this, this process. But in Acts 11, it says this. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution... After what? Stephen's death. Now just make a note of that. Because this is why we're talking about Antioch. After Stephen's death, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, there it is, of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Now that was the norm for the church. This is obviously uh, God's plan. He was re following with Israel, reaching the Jews. So when they went into a new, new city, they always went to the synagogues, temples. Jesus did that as well. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Key verse, the power of the Lord was with them and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. As a matter of fact, some scholars believe this was like the first megachurch in the culture. It, it, there were hundreds of people who started finding faith, and, and these Gentiles didn't have all the history that the Jewish people had, and so they were just trying to learn how to do church in a new way. And that created all kinds of wonderful things, but challenges as well. If you want to do a study on this, you need to go back to Acts 7 and see where Stephen was killed. Stephen stands up. And he preaches a great message of truth about who Jesus really was. They said, that's blasphemy. They drug him out of the city and they stoned him to death. He died. That released many angry people to begin to persecute Christians. And it's really the first surge of persecution that we see in the book of Acts. What this did is it pushed people out of Jerusalem. These people, it says right here, because of the persecution in Jerusalem, people started leaving Jerusalem and Guess what one of the cities was where they went? Antioch. So you have this great revival. That's amazing to me that because of persecution and Stephen's death, we have a church plant in Antioch and other cities as well. It's something very positive out of something really terrible. Now obviously you don't want to have someone die before you expand the church. But God used what was evil for something that was good. And we need to remember that. As I think of my own life, and I, and I challenge you, what... How, how does good come out of something that's not so good in our lives? Does it happen accidentally? Uh, sometimes it can. Could it happen with intentionality? I think it could. I was reading an article this week from a, a person with the organization MADD, M-A-D-D. Do you know what that stands for? Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Do you know how that started? 
One guess. I'll give you one guess. Yeah, a mom who lost a child and said, this is not okay. I'm going to do something about it. Other organizations, you think of cancer, you think of other diseases and all the funds and the foundations that have been started out of people's pain, out of their biggest need, out of their biggest nightmare. These things happen because they're trying to make something positive out of something that wasn't so positive. Here's the last question I have under this point. What will you do with the pain in your life? What will you do with your sorrow? What will you do with your injustice? What will you do in your life with your loss? Will it just trap you and lock you out of your future? Or can something better come out of that pain? It's a little bit of a haunting question, but I want to challenge you a little bit today. Antioch is a place that is a bright shining star because the church came to Antioch because of pain. What can come to someone because of my pain, because of my loss? It's worth thinking about a little bit. Number two in your outline is this. Little decisions can have big impact. Little decisions can really change your life. Just the little things you do. And, and, and how the church ended up at Antioch is very interesting to, me, interesting to me. Because it was just a couple little decisions that I want to read of why Barnabas ended up in Antioch. What happened was the church in Jerusalem heard about all these people getting saved in Antioch, though it's 300 miles away. You know, they couldn't just hop in the car or hop on a plane and buzz up there. It's a long ways. But they kept hearing about Antioch, Antioch, the church in Antioch. So they said, Barnabas, would you go check this out and see if this is really for real? Are there really hundreds and hundreds of people coming to Christ up there? So we pick it up at verse 25. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. He found him and he brought him back with him to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching, notice this, large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Isn't that interesting? That's where they got the label Christian. That, that Greek word means little Christs. <laughs> we would say Christ-like or Christ-likeness. But this was in Antioch. Largely Gentile population, Gentile church, and they started getting labeled as Christians. I find that fascinating because Barnabas goes from Jerusalem to Antioch and he says, this is for real. I need some help. And he goes and gets this young man by the name of Saul, who would become who? Paul. Just a few chapters back, you see Saul's conversion and he becomes Paul the Apostle who plants churches, travels around, the greatest missionary on the earth, and everything happens. This is his first assignment. Barnabas believes in young Saul. Saul is a little bit rejected from the church. So, so Barnabas goes and gets him and says, come and help me in Antioch. I believe, you guys, I believe that that little decision to send Barnabas to Jerusalem and that other little decision for Barnabas to go get Saul helped change the world. Because... Those little decisions became big because they taught that church in Antioch for a year. And if you are not Jewish, it is likely that this moment in Scripture is the connection to your spiritual birthplace. If there's such a thing as a genealogy of, of your birthplace in Christ, your spiritual birth, it probably goes back to Antioch. Because that's where the Gentile believers said, we have heard and we believe. Isn't that interesting? 
So I just want to go back to Antioch and sit there with a cup of coffee and say, thank you, Gentiles, whoever you are. And thank you, Barnabas, for getting up here. Thank you for calling Saul. And there's little decisions that they made. See, we, don't, we underestimate what happens in our lives when we make that phone call or we become friends with somebody or we decide to do a missions trip together. We decide to reach out beyond our comfort zone. You guys, that can have consequences that now are thousands of years from now. And so we need to be thinking about that with intentionality. Number three in your outline is this. We can become part of the problem or part of the solution. Part of the problem or part of the solution. Now, a big part of that's attitude. I know. Some of it's knowledge. You just Sometimes we do dumb things because we don't know better. Other times we choose them. <laughs> but, but you're going to see right here that the church in Antioch became a part of the solution. They tried to be a church with life and vigor, and they wanted to make a difference. Let's learn from this. Here we go. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem. Notice, from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. I love these next few words. So the believers in Antioch decided. Now, I know the sentence goes on, but that's underlined in my Bible. Because I love that place of decision. It's just, it's just a great moment. I'm going to read that again and I'll finish the sentence. The believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone giving as much as they could. They did This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in where? Jerusalem. Now think about this. Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch. He gets Paul. They build a great church. They're a part of this whole movement. And now in a time of need in the Jerusalem church and world, Antioch says, let's take an offering for them. They helped us get started. Now we're going to help them in a time of need. They become, they become a huge part of the solution. And I have sort of three observations here. Uh, in your outline. I want you to jot them down. The Antioch church, number one, they determined to be givers. They just, out of their will, out of their heart, out of their passion and compassion, they determined to be givers. The question that we need to ask of ourselves is, are we givers or takers in life? Now, I know there are times in which we should receive. We, we need help. We need counsel. We need someone to talk life to us. We're discouraged. I get that. But don't live your whole life just being a taker. Be a giver. We can learn that from the church at Antioch. They gave so many things. They did so many cool things to make a difference in their world. They decided. People who, who make the world a better place, I guarantee you, made a decision. They made a decision that impacted this world. It just didn't happen by accident. It happened with intentionality. We can choose to pour life into our kids. We can choose to go after education. We can choose to trust someone that hasn't been trusted, but you believe they're trustworthy. We can choose to start a company that does this and this and this. We make decisions all the time that, that allow us to be givers, not just takers. I, I, I think we can choose to have healthy marriages. We're in a culture where, man, it's a challenge. 
And I get fascinated at the people that are married that want to be single and the people that are single who want to be married. It's just crazy. It's tricky. And, and I, I hear people say things like, well, you know, we just, we've fallen out of love. You don't fall in love and you don't fall out of love. Love is a decision that we make with our will. And we decide and we, we determine. And in our lives we say, we're going to do what God asks us to do. Love is not a feeling or a falling. Okay? Love is a commitment. And so let's pray that God will help us to be givers. And that we as a church can learn to be like the church in Antioch. That we see other needs and we, we are not afraid to give. Like the one day offering where we say, yeah, it's sacrificial. It's a lot of money that we're giving. But that's our heart. It's not out of duty or guilt or obligation. It's out of, let's bless them. Let's make a difference in our world. Number two observation here is that the Antioch church determined not to hold a grudge. Not to hold a grudge. Now, I want to do a little bit of kind of contextual teaching in this. If you don't understand why this point is in here, it won't make sense to you. So let's go back to customs and culture for a moment. The people who really are following Christ, the Jewish people had a covenant with God, which involved several things. One of them was a physical thing that happened in the Old Testament in covenant with God. The males would be what? Circumcised. Now, it's okay for us to talk about this in church, all right? Because it's, it's in the Bible. So just relax. The Gentiles have no understanding, no history, nothing in their culture. This makes no sense to them. They don't even know about it. Okay? They take the gospel to Antioch. God does great things. The Holy Spirit moves. And all these Gentiles find the Lord. They're all excited. And then word comes up from the Jerusalem council. Are you going to be circumcised? <laughs> all of the males say, well, let's talk about this. Uh, what, is it, what do you mean by that? What, what, was that important? What? I don't, I don't see that in, in Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And, and there's a new covenant. Jesus fulfilled the law, so it wasn't necessary for them. But you have to understand, this is that moment in history where all that changed. Hard questions, big discussions. When you read uh, books in the Bible, it, like Timothy, for instance, Paul's thinking he needs to be circumcised just to reach the Jews because, you know, if he's not one of them, they're not going to really listen to what he has to say. And so it was, a, it was a real issue, and they came in with their knives to Antioch. No, no, I'm kidding. They didn't. I, was, I just said that. Other things were like meat offered, meat that had been offered to an idol. Don't eat that meat. We don't have that in our culture. It's not an issue in our culture, but it was a big deal for them. So, so just put yourself in the position of being a new believer, a follower of Christ, a Gentile. You don't know anything about the culture or the history with all this. And they're asking you to do certain things that will, will make you appear holy to them. But it has nothing to do with biblical reality at this point in our culture. See, that's, that's a lot. They could have said, why are you asking all these things of us? And, and just to finish this thought, Acts 15 is really called the Council of Jerusalem. And they have this big meeting and they decide and they send a letter with the brothers up to Antioch saying, no, you don't have to be circumcised here. The only things you need to do, and even on that list it wasn't probably appropriate, but they were happy in Antioch and said, great, we're happy with that. But they didn't hold a grudge. And that's why they could have held a grudge over all this legalism that was put upon them. 
And so they said, we're not going to hold a grudge. We're, what does is, what is holding a grudge do in your life to you? Have you ever thought about this? You know, I, I, I think all of us, you know, if you haven't had opportunity to have a grudge against someone, then you haven't lived much, okay? You need to get out more, okay? Um, because it's a tough world. If it's just a driver cutting you off in that moment, or if it's, you know, a, a person that's been in your life a long time who has wounded you, someone who, who has, has taken advantage of you, and holding a grudge puts walls up, all of a sudden I'm going to protect myself. I'll tell you another thing it does. When you hold a grudge, it, it absolutely kills healthy communication. Because you won't hear what they're really saying. You'll filter it through a, a system uh, in the worst way possible. Because if you view them as a two, even if they're saying something that has eight in value, it's going to come out at a two and a half to you. Oh, I love your kids. No, you do not. You can't stand my kids. I know you better than that. You just want something from them. This, this grudge, all of a sudden, I'm here to help you. It's like the IRS calling you and saying, I'm here to help you. And, and would you say, great, I'm so glad you called. I've been wanting to talk to you. It's paying your taxes. It's, how often do you drive down the street in our city and go, man, I'm so excited that I got to pay taxes for the street. I'm driving on it. I'm a part of it. I'm a part of that sidewalk. See these beautiful trees? I'm a part of this vision. Tax me some more. <laughs> you probably don't do that because it's imposed on you. You have no choice in that. That's how grudges happen. And people get angry and they get mad at organizations. They suddenly hate government. They hate people. They hate this organization or that. They don't like their church. They get mad because something happened. And then they hold a grudge. They say mean things. And people get tainted and it's ugly. And it happens when people get a grudge toward God. Last thing. I love this about Antioch. We can help others fulfill their dreams. You dream fulfiller you. Because you see beyond yourself. I'm proud of you for that. This is a visionary church. You're, you're pretty amazing. I'm serious. I've had a lot of years in, in watching you respond to needs through offerings, through talents, gifts, how you step up to make things happen. It's, it's quite a ride we've been on together. And, and I, I thank you for that spirit. I, I want you to just see a couple of things and we'll wrap this up. Paul and Barnabas... Before they went on a missionary trip, there are, there are three major missions trips that Paul went on. You know, if you have maps in the back of your Bible, there's probably a page that says Paul's missionary trip number one or second or third. Guess where every one of them started? Say it with me. Antioch. Why? See, it wasn't just strategic from a geographical perspective. I believe... In that year that he and Barnabas taught there, they fell in love. They fell in love with each other. He became a very important leader in their life. And he felt three things from them. And I want to just put this out there for you to think about. In your marriage, your home, your family, in our culture. I believe Paul and Barnabas felt emotionally supported by the church in Antioch. They genuinely cared for the ministry of Paul. I believe they felt financially supported. 
Antioch stepped up and helped them make their dream happen financially and spiritually. They felt supported. When you feel support financially, spiritually, and emotionally, guess what? That's a place you want to go to. I like going to those environments, and I believe it was a fun church. I believe Antioch knew how to laugh. They would, if you laugh together, you can cry together. And I believe Antioch had that something about it, a DNA that said, let's make a difference in our world. Let's be the people of God. And let's let other people's dreams be fulfilled. A place of new beginnings. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of people we want to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for moments like this where we are challenged. And it's not always easy, and I know that. But I just pray for those in this room who need to be really brutally honest maybe with some things. Just with heads bowed in this room, can I just say, how many of you just in a general sense, maybe it's with God, um, you need a new beginning. You need to start over. You, something comes to your mind with whatever category it is where you say, I need a fresh start. And I'm going to ask God to help me with that today because I just want to pray over you. I won't embarrass you. But if you just need a fresh start somewhere, a new beginning, would you just lift your hand? Thank you. you. You can put them down. Lord, touch, minister, move upon my brothers and sisters. Give them hope today that you can give them a fresh start. There is a way to turn over a new leaf, and it starts with you. Let this be the birthplace of something new in some people today. Secondly, how many of you would just be honest enough, this is pretty tough, but say, I, I really believe my life is being hindered because I'm holding a grudge. And I'm reminded of that by the Spirit today. I don't know how to let it go. Because listen, it doesn't mean that you're going to trust them again. Sometimes people are not trustworthy. And they, they don't earn your trust. So it doesn't mean you jump back into a relationship or you give them full trust. It, what it means is that you're not going to inside have a bitterness seed planted. You're not going to have this grudge, this feeling that grinds on you. And they may not even know about it. You're going to let that go and you're going to put it into the hands of God. Hold your hand up if that's you, if you would. I just want to pray over you. God bless you. Lord, whether their hand was lifted or not, you know our hearts. And we say yes to you right now that you will teach us and show us how to live without grudges. Even when things are imposed upon us, even those moments when we're not happy about something, show us how not to put up those walls or to live with a chip on our shoulder, but to be a person of new beginnings, a person that has life where only death is offered. I thank you for it. I thank you for it. I'm going to do one last thing. Sometimes last weekend we prayed for young people and singles and I want to pray for our marriage today. If you're sitting with your spouse today, maybe you have your arm around them or you could take their hand, I just want to lead us in a prayer for marriages. If they're not here, just pretend they are for a moment. Lord, I pray over this marriage, this wonderful covenant, that you will bless and encourage and strengthen, that we will choose to be givers, not takers, that our conversations will be meaningful, that we will not hold grudges even though we've been wounded. Today we will let it go and we will turn over a new leaf and start some things afresh. For your glory we pray this. Amen. Amen, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for learning from the cities with me. Ushers, would you come? We're going to wrap up today by worshiping God through giving.
And thank you for catching the vision, for being people who are generous and caring about the mission of God. You're making a difference. If you're a guest with us, we don't expect you to give in this offering. Just be our guest. Drop in your communication card as it goes by. Let me say a prayer over this offering. Let's open our hearts. Father, we we choose to give today with joy and a smile. Yes, out of obedience. Yes, it's sacrificial. But it also, Lord, is something that we choose out of our love for you. And Lord, help us to be like the church in Antioch where we see the needs and we make a difference and we are first responders. Let that spirit of generosity continue to flow through Timberline and all the ministries represented here. We thank you. Use every penny for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing the song. Not in our own, but as you empower us and you send us out of here today to let love live, that we will be the church and that we will declare it. God, thank you for Antioch. Thank you for the stuff that we can learn from the things they did well. Release us to reach our potential as a church and as individuals. For your glory we pray. Amen. If you want to pray with someone, come on up. Our prayer team will be up here. And You guys have a great weekend. Go by the tables. Take your time getting out of here. Have a great rest of your day.